0: Well, it's another Wake Up with Casey. I'm Kimberly, and I love the arts. Between theater, music, acting, you know, sculptures, paintings, even fashion, shoes. To me, it's some form of art. But growing up, I fell in love. Like, I know there's TV shows and and whatnot. Growing up in the 80s, it was so different, and I fell in love with a, a show, and Fell in love with somebody that was on this show because him and a few others were, it was like a group of them that were special and unique. And I admired and respected and helped me therapeutically with entertainment. And I have Bruce Belange joining us today. <laughs> thank you, Bruce, yes. for coming. Yes, thank up. you. I, My did. piercing <laughs>
1: blue steel gaze. <laughs>
0: blue steel. But honestly, Practice like growing up in the 80s, there was a few. I mean, of course, there was Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, and there was Hollywood Squares.
1: Right. And there was. There was Hollywood Squares, and there I was on it.
0: <laughs> and yes, you were, but it was, like, comical because there was a, a group of you of other common, you know, comedians, actors, and whatnot that joined in, and it was a positive entertainment and compared to what's going on today. I mean, I don't see much of that kind of energy in today. Would would that be?
1: That's uh, an interesting point. Uh, I, I don't know uh, where you would look for it. I mean, it's it, it's all around now. I mean, even even then, we were kind of in the the world of snark. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, so that uh, you know, the, typified by uh, by Letterman, and uh, who was I mean, not so much snarky as an oddball. But uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, the humor had shifted, you know, to to being a, a, a very observational, but also kind of mean spirited. And I think now it's probably coming around the other way because. Everybody who was being shamed has spoken out <laughs> about right. can't do that anymore. So uh, I think that, um, uh, that that may have something to do with it. Uh, but, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a resurgence of all that kind of crazy television now. With, I mean, all those game shows that we're on have all come back. Squares may even come back. They're doing it now on uh, VH1 as hip-hop squares with all rappers because we know how funny rappers are.
0: No. <laughs> I want. But the they're computer doing computer. all the old
1: material, which is truly bizarre, in my estimation. I mean, really crazy, crazy bizarre. But yeah, uh, you know, that was the part of the when when uh, *Hollywood Squares* has always worked. When it when we brought it back in the nineties, uh, our goal was to make it more more fun than a game, and uh, as it. Uh, suddenly there was a game show explosion and we had to make it more of a game. We had to make the stakes higher. And that was probably what killed it off early in my estimation. Because people like to see these nine celebrities making, having a good time, being like they're at a party. And that was how we shot it. I mean, we, shot, we shot a week in a day. We shot five of them in a, in a, a day. And as the, as the day progressed, the show got looser and looser. Because after the third show, we would have wine and so the thursday and friday shows were very loose, very loose indeed <laughs> sorry about that. the lighting something's happening here in, in this room anyway um so there was that you know that was we were transmitting that that kind of uh, energy
0: well that 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 but what i find fascinating is that the way it was created when you guys were doing it 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 was working why did you have to change it that because was game more shows meaning. because who
1: wants to be a millionaire was the number one show on television and it was it was huge and so it was deemed by the the people who were syndicating the show that we had to add more of a of a the stakes had to be higher the the, the, the prizes had to be bigger and it had to be winning the thing was more important because you were getting something. There was a bonus round where you got a, a Mercedes or a, or a trip or something like that. And uh, once we did that, it kind of neutered the fun of the thing. It uh, you know we, we I mean it wasn't who wants to be a millionaire. It was a different energy. So right. That, and I think people began to feel like there was you know there was too much emphasis on the prize and and less on the fun
0: ah oh, well that's a doggone shame i'm gonna tell you that i missed i tell you, you and
1: my accountant feels the same way
0: <laughs> but you what inspired you to or when did you realize you know being a comedy writer songwriter and becoming an actor was part of your passion
1: yeah uh, well, I was a child actor, so it was like from the from the day I started making faces in the mirror, uh, I was hooked, <laughs> and I just went from you know I, I went th- my parents were very smart, uh, and they uh, realized I was happy doing this, so they enabled it. Their only concern was that I wouldn't be able to make a living at it, and so they kept saying, well, you know, when I started writing, they said, well, you know, you can write too. You're a good writer. You can work for newspapers, and they'll never go out of business. <laughs> you know they weren't they weren't social sciences they were just they were parents i mean my father was a doctor but um uh they were uh that who who could who could have foreseen the worldwide internet web on which we speak yeah as even as we speak so i always that was just uh i don't know where it came from i mean i just it it was i had a passion which made me unusual among my my peers because most of them didn't have passions. Most of them are going. Oh, what am I going to do? Let me see. Will I go into my family business, or will I doctor, lawyer? Because that you know, that's the people who are theatrical are, are often attracted to the law, to trial law, because they can declaim, they can go into court. You know, when they watch Law and Order and they see all of that stuff, and they figure, Hey, that's for me. I can get up and I can lecture the jury and all that. Stuff. That was not what I wanted to do.
0: And you've been on Law and Order.
1: I what was was I was never on Law and Order.
0: Oh not uh, you've not been on Law and Order, but you've you've written some things for Law and Order. If I read it correctly, you've written something. Not with that, Law that and I remember.
1: Order. I don't. I don't think not Law and Order. I tried to get my mother on Law and Order. She wanted to be on TV in the worst way. I mean, <laughs> We would bring around Hollywood Squares every year for Mother's Day, but uh, she wanted to be. She loved Law and Order, so friends of mine were were doing Law and Order, were producing it, and so uh, uh, I got her a gig. But she was uh, she discovered the body at the beginning of the show. And it was even before you heard ding ding. You know, she just walking along, and then she discovers this body, and uh, she thought, fabulous. Uh, and then they said, "Well, you have to join Screen Actors Guild." And it, here's what it's going to cost, which was more than she was going to be paid. And she said to me, this is ridiculous. It's going to cost me money, and I disappear at three minutes into the show. Forget it. it now you know what it's like.
0: Uh-huh. And, but yeah. your mother played a, a big influence in helping you. With getting to the schools and, and plays and, and whatnot, she was part of a an yeah. inspiration with you.
1: Oh yeah. Well, she was a showgirl. Uh, she was a a, a showgirl monke. She wanted to be a showgirl, and uh, it didn't quite work out. And she married my father. She was she was about twenty. And uh, uh, she was, so she was a doctor's wife, but she did a lot of uh, charity things. It was, they were very philanthropic. She did a lot of, put together a lot of shows and appeared in a lot of shows. So she always had this thing uh, about show business and about wanting to be on stage. But she wasn't like, it wasn't like Gypsy, you know? It wasn't like, she wasn't this monstrous stage mother who pushed me. And they didn't make a living off of what I made as a child actor. It was all went into Bruce's college fund. So it was not like uh, it wasn't one of those nightmare show business stories where you know I pushed them into letting me do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was always the one. I want to do this. I'm. Mean, they would always say, "Okay, well, you know, yeah, he'll be happy doing this. Let's let him do this." So, yeah, it's uh, just
0: a phase. It's just a phase. He'll grow out of it, and then they realize no. But, he's not but out she of
1: was it. always she was always living her her other life through my accomplishments. Especially uh, when it became clear that I was not going to give her grandchildren, uh, and everybody in her circle had grandchildren, and you know, so she had my career. You know, they would say, "Well, here's a picture of my granddaughter Jennifer," and she'd say, "Oh, here's here's Bruce on stage with Whoopi," and here's <laughs> here's Bruce doing this and that and the other thing. So it was kind of like this was what you know, this was what she had. I mean, they they would you know her claim to fame, she would call it.
0: Ah, well, that's. And then yes, there are some parents that push their kids, and then they just miserable.
1: Well, you know that's why that's why we have emancipation laws. You know, hello, Britney Spears. I mean, right? Yeah, that's that's
0: just mind boggling on just that whole scenario. And then with um, you did some acting as well. You've accomplished a lot of things and gotten several awards. Yeah. I'm, i might get astounded and just admire you even more with you know, you've been featured writer for Tony, Grammy, even the Emmys.
1: I'm the EGOT of award show writers. I've written them all. Emmys, Grammys, Oscars, Tonys. I've written all of them. I have a bunch of Emmys that I won for writing the Oscars. Two of them are for writing the Oscars. And um, uh, yeah, so I've been around the award show circuit. And uh, that they announced the Emmy nominees this morning. As a matter of fact, oh,
0: I, haven't really?
1: looked at, I haven't looked at the list yet. Um, but I mean, I haven't been writing. I, I haven't actually written any of those shows this year. But I mean, this was such a strange, weird, you know, Trump virus year. So uh, I, everything was everything was different. Everything was small. That's right. what you want—a low-key, intimate Oscars with no glamour. What's yeah. wrong with these people? <laughs>
0: But I mean, during the the pandemic, Bruce, what what did you do or think or I mean, did you reassess, reevaluate, or you know, what did you do to help you get through the this pandemic and
1: drugs? <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> Where's my van? <Ativan? laughs> Bring it up. Back the truck in here. Uh, you know, writers get writers. Can, can keep writing. I mean, I sat at the keyboard, and and people were paying me, and I was very fortunate uh, because live performance disappeared, so there was none of that, and a lot of my friends were really in trouble because that's how they made their living, and I was lucky in that I could continue to work and get paid, and uh, I could sit at the keyboard, you know, commando, and if I didn't stand up and do a Jeffrey Tubin, I was okay so i was i was working I, I worked on a whole bunch of projects that are now we're now developing them as as actual stage things i mean I, I while nobody could work i was i was writing them so now they're i got nothing to plug but you know up things are upcoming so i was very lucky i mean and i i lived alone already you know and i had all my all my things, my my things were in place, you know, I was already getting everything delivered because I'm just, you know, I'm a lazy sod. I don't want to schlep through supermarkets if I don't have to. Everything was already being, (laughs) everything was being left. It wasn't being left at the curb. I was saying hello to delivery people, but, uh, you know, so I I was very lucky in, in this, that sense. I mean, a lot of my friends really suffered and I was trying to help them out, but at the same time I was uh, I was you know functioning. You know writers you know, writers only retire when they absolutely want to. I mean you can keep as long as you can keep writing you have a, you can have a career. I mean there, there is such thing as ageism in, uh, in television and film and so it's more difficult for you to get your voice heard but uh, you can continue to do it. I think people retire because they're tired of they're tired of fighting. And they're tired of having to present their ideas to 12 year olds who have no idea who they are or what they're talking about. And if you can afford to retire, then a lot of them do.
0: Wow. And, you know, being in in acting, even in films, you've even been on um, Broadway, uh, I think one.
1: I did hairspray for a year on Broadway. Uh, yeah, I've been off Broadway a bunch of times in my own show, my one-man extravaganza. But I did Hairspray. I toured Hairspray for a year. I shaved. I was in the Turnblad Baltimore housewife, ironing my way across America, and then I did it on Broadway for a year. And it was that was the combination of a, of a, a great, a big-ass dream I'd had for years. And I'd go back in a minute if the, you know, the right thing came along. And there've been a few false starts, but uh, nothing. Nothing has happened. So,
0: Bruce, can you share with us, um, now, with my audience, I, I love to be uh, open-minded, but also, you know, the, the disadvantage and advantage of being in the industry. Can you share what you've learned since you started and, and from what you've learned to now?
1: Well, the, the uh, unfortunate truth is the cliche uh, that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity, holds forth. Uh, you have to be ready for anything that comes along. You have to be available, put yourself out there for stuff that you would not think of, and take to do things for free, and take things uh, just to build a network so people know you. Um, you can't afford to be terribly choosy, even though you may view yourself as an artist, you have to get going at some point. Once you reach a certain level, you have uh, more freedom. But uh, And you can't be discouraged by rejection because 90% of the stuff you do is going to be rejected. I mean, until you get to the point where you own everything, where you... You own yourself and your career, and you can choose what's done. It's, it's, people still get rejected. So um, that's part and parcel of the thing. And you're going to get criticized. You're going to be loved, and you're going to be hated. And, and uh, you just have to prepare for all of that kind of stuff. But mostly, you have to, uh, uh, if you want to be in comedy, you really do have to be funny. Very few people get get by without being funny. Uh, and you have to uh, uh be able to roll with the punches it's it's unfortunately all of these things are like yeah we've heard them before but it's, but it's the truth that's that's the way it works i mean there's no there's no magic elixir there's no weekend in the country where somebody a guru will tell you how it works you just have to keep doing it
0: right and you've come across and met some amazing people such as Robin Williams, Elizabeth Taylor, Stephen Tyler. I mean, there's just so many people.
1: What, what a selection. Would... <laughs> huh? What a selection.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, because I find them fascinating. Tyler. Especially Robin Williams.
1: He he, Stephen Tyler is fascinating. He's, he's brilliant. He really is very, very smart. and uh, uh, And then, you know, knows what he's doing. He's a good businessman, too. Wow, And obviously wow. a doting father because he raised a kid who's a terrific actress. I don't know if he raised her, actually, but maybe he did. I don't know. I'm not sure what the domestic situation was.
0: <laughs> he was like wild and crazy growing up in the 80s listening to him with the Aerosmith, but um,
1: dream on! Dream on! <laughs> Sorry, that's the end of my Steven Tyler impression.
0: And Lily Tomlin, I I met her as an actress and she was on Hollywood Squares. So was Robin Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh,
1: Robin was on our iteration of Hollywood Squares because of Whoopi. We did a comic relief week and Billy and Robin were on and a a, a rotating series of comics. But uh, it was Billy, Robin, and Whoopi who were in the center line, I think. And I was there somewhere on a different square than I usually was. But um, uh, Lily, I don't think was on our version, but Lily was on uh, certainly on the earlier version when she was on wow. Laughing Way, you know, because Hollywood Square started in 1967 and was on for 14 years on NBC and then went away and came back with Joan Rivers in the 80s and went away and came back with Whoopi in the 90s and now was on VH1 with Flava Flav.
0: <laughs> but honestly, what was it like? Even, like, working with them behind the scenes when you guys were together.
1: On Squares? Yes. Uh, It was a party. We only shot 36 days a year because we did five shows in a day. We would do a week in a day. And we would air 36 weeks of new shows. And the other 12 weeks would be reruns. So um, we, we would meet every other weekend on Saturday and Sunday. We would shoot five shows each day. And it would start like at 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, people would show up like around 9 o'clock. And we would go over the material over, over what questions that were going to be asked. And, and nobody knew the answers. But they a lot of the questions didn't have any real answers. Uh, <clears throat> and we would give them jokes and bluffs. And then we would start. We would shoot the, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday shows, have lunch, drink wine, and do Thursday and Friday and be out of there by 5 o'clock. Uh, so it was great, and, and and people would show up and get caffeinated, and they were ready to have fun. Uh, so it was, uh, and nobody really misbehaved because if you were up, there were eight other people up there with you. If you yeah, and you tried to pull something, these eight people kind of look at you and go, "Girl, get it together," you know. <laughs> kind of pin slap Roseanne if she was in a bad mood, because you know, she as as she has said, she had forty three separate personalities. And uh, I used to say to her, would you please tell number 18 to, to resume speaking to number 32 because it's getting in the way of the show.
0: Uh, <laughs> what are the fondest memories in your career that you hold precious?
1: Well, <clears throat> I would say I've written 25 Oscar shows. That was pretty fabulous. Being on Broadway in Hairspray, doing Hollywood Squares and being at the ground level, ground zero of Ben Midler uh, I started with writing for her. I was a journalist and uh, feature writer at Chicago Tribune when I met her and began writing for her, and I've been writing for her ever since. And that's been 50 years. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Quickly, the injections, and James. Um, uh, and, you know, watching, that, watching her develop and uh, her trajectory and all of that, you know, and being a, and a close intimate working level with her has been amazing. So there's all of that, I mean, those are those, those are quite a few things that gladden my heart.
0: Gladden your heart, oh And what is, can you think of anything that's the most embarrassing thing that you've experienced that you actually used in, in some of your, like, comedian writing stuff? Oh, wow.
1: Um, so many embarrassing things. I mean, I mean, you know, like
0: Come on, what's the funniest? Every day
1: there's something. Uh, I, I actually, that's a very good question. I really haven't thought about the most embarrassing thing. I mean, those are things you try to suppress, right? And then the therapist tries to bring them out you. <laughs> uh, Here you are, Dr. Carpenter, Dr. <laughs> uh, uh, or Dr. Chapman, who's Dr. Carpenter? Oh, that's my therapist. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I I really well, you know. I suppose that classically, it, it it goes beyond embarrassment. But I was involved in the Ted Danson uh, blackface uh, extravaganza the, when uh, the the Friars Club uh, roasted Whoopi and Whoopi and Ted were a couple, and we had Ted, they were breaking up actually, but no one knew that. Uh, but uh, we had Ted come out in blackface and do all these horrible jokes about her. And they were the classic racist jokes. And the idea was, this was their response to two years of hate from from all over the place. You know, and, and being called every name in the book. And because they were an interracial couple. And um, Unfortunately, the Friars Club didn't tell us that this was the year they were going public. Friars Club was a small organization, and they would have these roasts in, in, in a, uh, a small ballroom and, um, uh, for their members and all that. And everybody who was involved knew exactly what the roasts were, that they were the place to tell the worst jokes in the world and make hideous fun of people. It's not like what Dean Martin did when you were a kid or what Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Ross and comedy central do now where it's controlled. It was out of control. And and they didn't tell us this year they were opening it up to the public and they sold tickets. And so there were 1500 people at the Hilton and they couldn't believe what, what they, what was going on. And some people on the dais decided to grandstand like the mayor who was black David Dinkins and uh, Montel Williams and, and some, and some, some people decided that they were going to take, great umbrage of the thing and um and i felt bad because first of all you know when you're out there in blackface you can't say excuse me i'll be right back and go off out and take it off so ted was stuck and he didn't deserve that because he's a a wonderful guy and uh and and when it was over Whoopi kept saying i'm taking all the blame for this don't don't tell anybody you were involved (laughs) i mean people knew but uh she said because you don't want to get any on you and, I mean, everybody survived it, but it was, at the time, it was really, it was it was awful. Ted had a very hard time afterwards. And they did break up, and he and he uh, met Mary Steenburgen, and they've been married now for many years. I mean, this, is, this had to have happened 30 years ago, it's, or 25 years ago, something like that. But um, uh, it, it was bad for him, and, and you know, he recovered. I mean, he recovered, and now we kind of laugh at it in a sort of rueful way. But, uh, but it was a time. It was. It went beyond embarrassing. It was. Uh, it was shame-inducing.
0: <laughs> so, what are you? Um, you're still writing. Uh, can you share some upcoming? Projects that you no, know. I, I
1: really can't because they're all like in development. I can't announce anything. Yet. Oh I got nothing to plug, kimberly Oh I can only just rake through the shards of my career with you. I got nothing I can say. And here I'll be doing well, I'll be performing. Um I'll be I'll be in uh, at Palm Springs Pride in early November and I will be in Fort Lauderdale Thanksgiving weekend at, at a club called a new club called the Savory. And uh, probably some other stuff, but um, uh, you know the, the live calendar is coming back because clubs, things are opening. And uh, I do uh, I I do a lot of college, sort of colleges and theaters and corporate dates. I only I only work. I don't do clubs. I I do my show where I know people have come to see me. Except a corporate setting is great because you get to make fun of all of them, and they love, <laughs> they love that. <laughs> i bet they love that you know who the, who the asshole is you know at at the at the firm and you can go and you can make fun and they they get a big kick out of that you also learn who you can't make fun
0: of oh yeah, yeah i bet but i haven't,
1: i haven't done one since uh me too and blm and all these things everybody is so sensitive now and you have you don't realize that you're you're stepping on anything until uh until it's too late you have to really uh parse everything you're saying, because you, you know, I mean, my white privilege, which I didn't realize I had, being gay and Jewish, I didn't realize I had white privilege, but my white privilege, my white male privilege, you know, I can't be a Karen, I may look like a Karen, but I can't be a Karen. Um, my white male privilege has, has sometimes, uh, I've forgotten that there are things that uh, that I look at from a certain attitude that other people who are on the other side of that uh, equation don't look at with that attitude so and that is something that you have to sit down and say to yourself gee I didn't realize that I actually that this actually comes from the fact that I can I uh, I have that white privilege never occurred to me I, I, Maybe I was I, deaf dumb and blind I'm,
0: yeah it's like oh what you have white privilege and I'm like why is it getting to that to where these it's to me, it's like creating a mindset. You know, it's like we're just Americans. You know, well,
1: but but you have to look at the uh, at the other point of view. I have a black friend, a, w- a woman, not Whoopi. I have another black woman friend, and uh, <laughs> and she put it very succinctly. She said she was with a guy, and the guy was saying, "Well, I don't see color." And he's saying this to somebody whose entire life is informed by the fact that she is black and she is a woman. And her whole life is different from his because of color. And for him to say, I don't see color is bullshit. And she knows it because he does it. He 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 doesn't what he doesn't see is that is her struggle because of her color. He dismisses it because it, to him it doesn't mean anything. You, that's white privilege. Okay. And when, it's, when you put it in the term, in personal terms, you get it. When you talk about it in the abstract, you don't get it. And so I've been saying that like as gay people, we have to come out because we're easy to hate in the abstract, especially for people who were raised with, with biblical precepts that don't make any sense anyway. But uh, once they know that they're talking about you personally, their attitude changes because some, there is a human face on this hatred and, and, it,
0: uh,
1: and, you, and difference.
0: Well, and I think it's taught. It's a program. Even back, if you go back in time in history, it's, I mean, there's even writings about poets and prophecies that actually, that's what prophets were. They wrote poems. They, they wrote music. They, you know, and, and, and all these writings, and there's a misconception about that, but it's like, to me, it's like history repeating itself until we wake up and recognize that, hey, our ancestors didn't know better right <laughs> you know but how can we make the difference by changing our minds to change the way we feel about one another we're all connected
1: you, yes but you you just have to reevaluate uh how you treat people and how your attitude towards people um, and and acknowledge the fact that uh, you are the sum of your Uh, childhood experiences and everything you were taught when you were a kid and and you just have to say, is this valid in my life now?
0: Absolutely. I agree with you, Bruce. And um, even now, like with your writing and everything and and how I see, you know, you got to watch what you say now because everyone is easily offended by comments and remarks, and they're not doing it intentionally, some. How are you adjusting to this, like, I guess transition? Not
1: easily, because a lot of jokes that you used to be able to make, you can't make anymore. And I, you know, as as, I mean, as the butt of some of them, I understand uh, the sensitivity. You know, I mean, there was uh, I was, uh, I think there was something on Facebook uh, with uh, I don't know, I made some comment about picking something up. I don't know what it was. It was innocuous, and some woman wrote, "Well, the only thing you picked up today is a box of donuts." And uh, and I wrote back, "That's easy and cheap fat shaming." Mm-hmm. And I know because you know I've written fat jokes all my life, and of course my excuse was I'm fat, so I can I can make fun of somebody else. You know, I can make fun of Chris Christie. Uh, who there's so many ways to make fun of Chris Christie without mentioning that he's a tub of lard. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's so many other things you can you can do about him and, and much more inventive than that. But I understand, I mean, <clears throat> when they come after the, the minorities of which I am a member, um, I you know I, I understand what, what they're talking about. And you have to put yourself in that. Position. That makes writing comedy stuff very hard. But it also makes it challenging in, in a good sense because you have to find the funny and stuff that isn't the obvious, you know, the, isn't the obvious kind of funny.
0: Yeah, I got to get more creative.
1: Yeah, it. yeah, that would be one way of putting it, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I loved having you here today joining us it was such a delight and i want to thank you again for everything that you've done and one more thing you're heavily involved in an advocate for aids and the lgbtq um, rights can you share um some of that with us today
1: well uh the i've always been out i was never hidden I never had a double life. I was always sort of who I am. Uh, when AIDS started, it was uh, uh, promoted as the gay disease because uh, that was the virus was first transmitted by gay people st- somehow. And since it's a sexually transmitted disease or transmitted through blood, um, the, uh, the, the preponderance of people who got it were gay. So it became a gay issue and uh nobody wanted to touch it for that reason and so being in show business uh, since the government was going to help uh we decided i and a like-minded group decided that we would start raising money through shows like Mickey and Judy in the barn and so we did uh a lot of benefits and i and i got involved in those in putting together those benefits and writing them and I would trade off other people. I would say, if you do this my benefit, I'll do your benefit. So I became acquainted with all the bigger diseases because everybody was attached to a cause. And I wound up writing for all of those causes. So hey, spina bifida, I know all about you. Uh, <laughs> I, learned, I learned a lot. And, and we began uh, building this uh, sort of foundation of fundraising. And then Rock Hudson got sick, Elizabeth Taylor got involved. And once Elizabeth was involved, uh, the, the thing went mainstream. And it, it kind of came out of the closet. It became a, a, an actual cause with real, uh, real charities. I mean, not just volunteer, but professional fundraiser people and uh, administrators. And uh, and that's because of Elizabeth. Uh, um, as I used to say to her, anybody will take your call. Even the Pope will take your call, if only to discuss jewelry, <laughs> because they both have a lot. And uh, and and in in England, it was Princess Diana who who kind of picked up the cudgels, and she made it a cause there, and uh, and it, it you know hasn't stopped. I mean, eventually there was a cocktail that uh, keeps people alive for many years, even though there is still no actual cure. There there is a maintenance, but of course that costs a lot of money to keep people afloat, and so you know you have to continue to have a, a, a flotation device for those for those individuals. And there's still, of course, a stigma about it. And as I've said many times, I don't know anybody who was ever forced out of their apartment because they had breast cancer, but I know a lot of people who were forced out of their apartments because they had AIDS, because landlords figured a way to get rid of them because they were scared of them. So as long as that stigma exists, there is a reason to continue the fight on t- on two levels, obviously, on the health level and on the uh, the societal level.
0: Well, there's so much research now that, you know, if you want to know, I mean, to me, it was like a, a myth, a story that was told, but if I really wanted to know the truth, I could go on, do my own research to find the truth about, you know, AIDS and, you know, how it got originated and, and you know, transmitted and then what are they doing now with the research and you know the accomplishments that are helping you know thousands and thank you for doing what you, you know stepping up and doing something you know above and beyond to get yeah, you know,
1: it, it affected my community i had a lot of friends that you know i look at that quilt and i have hundreds of names of people who i actually know knew wow. so you know it really is uh, it really it really affects one and it's uh, that that's why i was involved because i was you know taken it the flood i was in the middle of it all
0: mm. well thank you once again bruce it was surely a pleasure well, having sorry you about come on
1: sorry about this weird lighting i'm looking at myself maybe it's not doesn't look the same to you as it does to me but
0: well it comes in and out and it, you just comes can't in and out.
1: And I have a, there's a halo effect now and again which is
0: Yes, and it looks gorgeous on you. All
1: right. Yay.
0: <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you on um, upcoming now that things are opening up. I hope to look forward to seeing you on, you know, some on a show Broadway or something. Please keep in touch and let me know.
1: I would love
0: to, to watch you. You've always been amazing. A beautiful soul, you truly are.
1: All right, I'll take it. <laughs> Have
0: oops, sorry. All right, that was I'm just so in awe right now and I'm so grateful for having Bruce LaVanche on our show today. He's done a lot of amazing things and he keeps keeps going and keeps doing and I'm really proud and just an honor to have him on the show. Look for more great interviews and great guests right here on Wake Up With KC. Do you agree that, you know, it's time that we all... Wake up and take responsibility even for our ancestors that did not know any better. I've been waiting patiently to have this kind of conversation. <laughs>